You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing the Godfather at ChumbaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at chumpacasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Hi, I'm Alexi, and I'm a freelance culture critic here at Token Theater Friends. Hi, my name is Ayana, and I am a theater co-editor and a theater writer, and we are your co-hosts today on Token Theater Friends. How are you doing today, Alexi? I'm doing well. I am, well, it's a sunny day in Philadelphia, so I've been taking walks and kind of just enjoying kind of like, I guess like a first week of spring is how I've seen it, but then it might be a snow day next week, which I think is very weird. Um, but yeah, overall, um, I knit a little today and that's my latest thing. So I'm happy about that. How are you? I'm well, I am in New York. I'm not too far from Philly. <laughs> um, and it's a beautiful day today in New York. Um, we, it's 60, it's been 60 degree weather. We've had 60 degree weather for a week now and, I'm just loving it. It's bright outside and I'm happy to be here with you talking about theater. And well, it's it, we're celebrating the last the first year um, since theater shut down. Um, what was the last show that you saw before Broadway and the rest of the theater world closed? Yeah, I mean, first of all, I can't believe and I can believe that's been a year since like live theater and Broadway and all of that has was shut down um, and it's been a wild, wild year. And I don't think I realized how much I relied on theater <laughs> for a sense of like, um, just like liveliness. Um, so my last, <laughs> yeah, exactly. So my last in-person show was actually abroad. So I was pursuing my master's in social policy in the UK. Um, when this whole pandemic happened. Um, And so at Oxford, there's a ton of student theater. And the last in-person show I'd seen was a student production of Rent, which could have gone either way in terms of like quality, but everyone was really good. (laughs) Um, And I was jealous. Yeah, no, it was really well put. And I think I'm satisfied with the fact that that was one of my last shows for sure. Um, but yeah, what about you? What was your last in-person show? Um, my last in-person show was on Broadway, The Minutes by Tracy Letts. I'm not completely satisfied that that was my last show because I had tickets to see, um, Six and Company that same week. 
So I'm a little upset that I didn't choose the right show. But I do remember um, coming out of the theater and seeing these tourists who saw my playbill in the hand. And they said, you know, we came here from Florida to see um, some shows and we want to get in all the theater before closing because we already had heard that the the pandemic had hit New York and we were expecting things to close, but not like the next day. And I was telling her all of the shows that I went to see and um, how she should go see company before it closes. And I think about her all the time, even though I have no idea who she is, I think about her a lot because the next day they announced that theaters um, were shut down and would be shut down for like a month. And here we are a year later. So um, yeah, I wonder how she's doing. I mean, that is kind of tragic. Um, and I feel like I have a similar story uh, for when like theater shut down in the UK. Uh, first, having tickets to six, I'm so jealous. I could not get tickets when it was in London. What? It would like just, yeah, it just blew up there. I mean, that's where it's yeah, from, right? Like, that's it's, like, where right it's from. So yeah. <laughs> yeah. So like, it was like big cult following um I listened to that album on repeat the um cast recording but my girlfriend had come and visit me during um her spring break at the time and when she came and visited me it was like very 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 beginning of March so things like the vibes were COVID is happening how bad will it hit the U.S. we don't know right now it's like big in China and Italy big as in like it's being like terrifying um but I don't think we understood the scope of how um much it would change our lives and so when the two of us were in the UK when she was coming to visit things started getting kind of like more shut down in the US but the UK hadn't caught up on things so we had heard that theaters were closing in the US and we had heard that um lockdowns were happening but the UK was not taking any action so we we had prior like a month earlier bought in a ton of tickets for shows in the west end and we wanted just to have like a weekend full of shows um but we just didn't feel safe even though the government had done nothing to shut down shows we knew that in the u.s like shows were being shut down so what would be the difference if case rates were basically the same um so we decided not to attend those shows um even though theaters had not yet shut down but the two of us, like Sam and I, talk about it often about how we did not know that it would be a year-long sacrifice and yeah. how maybe we should have taken that risk for those shows um, because, uh, I don't know, we really, we had like scoured so many different types of shows to see that weekend because that's our thing. But that's kind of like when we made the active decision of taking the pandemic seriously. When we let go of those theater tickets, it was kind of like, okay, now I think we're It's happening. Yeah. yeah. Uh, down our lives. Uh, it's been a year and I cannot believe it. Um, do you think theater has changed within oh, this year? I feel like it's one of those like very polarizing questions to ask people. I feel like some people out um, are taking in theater right now as a placeholder until live theater comes back. And then others are completely embracing the digital medium as the future of theater and it will be kind of like the new norm. I haven't made, I am not on either end completely, but I think for me prior to the pandemic, 
I felt like theater was live and in person only. And that's completely shifted. I think that there are so many ways to do theater and I've seen it done in so many different iterations throughout the pandemic. There was one play that was a virtual landscape, kind of like the kind of like The Sims, you're just like walking through and you see like different kind of like digital characters um, interact. I've seen, I mean, Circle Jerk was another great show, right? Live and integrating TikTok and social media and just kind of like all those Easter eggs of like pop culture moments that I related to. Um, but I am also so excited for when I get to see a live play. I, I, don't, I don't think it will, I, there are a few things in the post-COVID world that will compare to my first live show. What about you? Yeah, um, I agree with you with Circle Jerk. It was, I think Circle Jerk was one of the biggest pandemic theater um, creations made, if you, if I can say that. Um, it was well received, it was well created. And I believe that if theater is looking for a way to capture audiences not in person, I think they should model the creators of Circle Jerk um, for what they did. Now, to say that digital theater is something that I completely have embraced would be lying. I love in-person <laughs> theater. I think it's something that not only um, helps me to embrace my people, because I feel like my people are theater people, but it also helps me with my mental health. I'm able to escape with other people around me. Um, and I just feel like this year has been so difficult without having those people um, just sharing that same love for a show, an in-person show together, um, if that makes any sense. But I cannot wait for theater to return. Things are looking really good, um, especially with New York pop-up hosting a few shows um, beginning in May. So I really think that we have a great future ahead of us. I think theater reopening is closer than ever. And I will take this year and reflect on it for the rest of my life, but there is nothing, nothing like in-person theater. I, so I just remember reading one of your tweets and I think you had said something along the lines of, I cannot wait until someone kicks me behind, like uh, from behind on the chair in those overcrowded theaters and those very narrow halls or narrow walkways while I'm watching a performance. I will welcome those first kicks. Mm -hmm. I want to feel them. And I agree. I think that, like you said, it's a shared community experience. Mm -hmm. I think that I mean, like, kind of like sharing an emotional reaction to a scene is kind of like intense. Mm -hmm. um, even though I have a lot of problems with um, Aaron Sorkin's To Kill a Mockingbird uh, uh, when it was on Broadway, like, that's a whole separate conversation. It's a whole nother podcast. That's a whole nother podcast. I will say some of those scenes got me emotionally and it got the whole theater emotionally, you mm -hmm. know? Um, and if I watched a recording of that in my living room, and I, I, first of all, the emotion wouldn't have been as strong for me. And it wouldn't have felt as powerful as seeing the stranger next to me also mm -hmm. gasp or also like be held in suspense. Absolutely. So Absolutely. And with that being said, we have a few shows that we reviewed that were digital. 
Um, do you want to start? Mm-hmm. So this week, I decided uh, to review um, Monument, which is a local project by Donmar Warehouse, which is in the UK. So it's a short film, and it was directed by Sarah Anika Malik. And I thought the project itself was very cool because it's part of the Donmar local project. So essentially, the theater is really trying to engage with its community members more heavily and figure out, first of all, what's the impact of its presence in the community and also figuring out ways to um, create a platform for community members to express their views. Um, And Monuments is a short film that documents young Londoners who are young BIPOC Londoners who express their encounters with everyday racism. It was made kind of in response to the murder of George Floyd. And it also deals with um, the monuments that are present in Westminster. So that is kind of the area uh, where parliament sits and it borders the neighborhood that Donmar Warehouse is located in. Basically it's questioning the importance and the symbolic value that monuments of imperialist racist figures might have on a community, but it also documents um, the lived experiences of young BIPOC individuals in a really powerful way. Um, I have so many thoughts and opinions on this piece. I really loved it, but I'd love to hear what your thoughts were, Ayana. Yeah, I absolutely loved the piece. I loved how it connected film, theater, and the art. I also love the fact that <laughs> this seeing this piece after the huge Meghan Markle, Harry interview with Oprah, how all of that impacted me at one time. Because I can tell you, for truth, when I was a young girl, I not so young, but a preteen, um, I experienced racism personally for uh, for myself for the first time. And I remember talking it, it over with a friend and the friend said, that's only in the U.S. It doesn't happen anywhere else. Mm. And then growing up and experiencing that, that's not true. So seeing this piece was like uh, just an entryway because I've never been to London. I've never been to the U.K. We'll get there. But just seeing this piece and these young BIPOC individuals talking about their experiences, whether lived or whether um, just expressing them through art was just phenomenal to me. They're very brave, (laughs) to say the least, to do this piece. Um, And I thought it was so beautiful, even using the clay as something that was holding them together and then the washing off the clay at the end, like they're breaking free of these um, external factors that are holding them back. And I just felt like this was such a beautiful piece for it to be six minutes and to hit you within the first minute. I was just like, wow, this is monuments needs to be seen. Um, I'm glad you picked it. I loved it so much. And I definitely will be sharing it with other people. Um, I felt like it was so impactful, fantastic. Um, why did you pick it? I, I mean, I loved it, but but why did you feel? Absolutely. Okay, well, first I need to respond to the fact that like, I agree, the timing of seeing monuments after that explosive interview with Megan Markle yeah. and Oprah, I mean, it just kind of encapsulates and emphasizes 
a really unfortunate reality that the racism that Meghan Markle faces, right, is like not a like a one person experience. It's not an isolated experience. It's a community lived experience, um, right. and it takes it manifests in so many different ways. Mm-hmm. So I I agree. I think that that has me thinking a lot right now. Um, the reason I chose it is because I have always kind of been like fascinated with the role of monuments. Mm. So I started kind of understanding its importance, kind of like when I was at Oxford, there was a revival of Roads Must Fall, which was a campaign to take down the Rhodes statue um, because he's a colonist and an imperialist, Mm. but the Rhodes scholarship is founded off of his wealth, which was stolen, like which his wealth is stolen, right? From um, many different um, countries. Uh, from like families in different countries, but also because I went to this very interesting talk given by a professor at SOAS in London called Raoul Rao. And he really spoke about the role that monuments play in kind of three different time periods. So a monument exists in the time period that's meant to represent. So let's take a Confederate like monument. So it exists in preserving the history of the Confederacy. It also, the monument also exists in the time it was created. So why was it put up in a certain time? What was that meant to do? Um, And what type of like values was it supposed to purport? And then it exists in the time that is the present. So how is it engaging right now? And so, for example, after the murder of George Floyd, um, close to 100 Confederate monuments were taken down. Yeah. So kind of like that, that new engagement with its environment as like social values start to different prioritizations of social values begin to change. So I thought that monuments was going to speak a lot more on physical monuments itself. But what I think was even more important was that the film was kind of signifying that the lived experiences of these young BIPOC Londoners are monuments in themselves, Um, Mm -hmm. but that they won't be kind of like, they won't be forced to fit into some other perception because they were being like thrown with clay and it was caking onto them. And they were in turn becoming like a statue defined by their microaggressions. But I think they were more defined by their resiliency to break free. So that's why I chose it. I love monuments and the history they may represent and how we can kind of get rid of racist monuments in our society. (laughs) Yeah, I loved it. I loved it. And I hope that although it's um, these Londoners speaking, I hope that the U.S. also has a a number of racist monuments that are still up. So I hope that um, this can impact some people here as well um, to look and examine what are, uh, the figures that are still standing and why we are honoring them in the way we are. Um, yeah, I chose simply Sondheim um, because I am a Sondheim enthusiast and I absolutely love his work. I think he's. I think I can say he's one of my favorite composers, musical composers. 
And this review was featured over 30 songs. It was directed by Matthew Gardner um, at Signature Theater. You had orchestrations by Jonathan Tunick and starring Norm Lewis, Celia Pfeiffer, and a number of other Signature Theater regulars. Um, Signature Theater is located in Arlington, Virginia, and it's one of my personal favorite theaters outside of New York City. Um, it's It has produced some of my favorite plays and musicals. And Simply Sondheim was, I chose it because not only do I love Sondheim, but because that week that um, I had tickets to company, I was like, okay, now I have to figure out a way to hear the music from company Mm -hmm. live. So I chose this piece. I loved it. I thought for a digital show that they did such a great job. Um, the orchestrations, though, that the orchestrations and the lighting made me feel like I was there. Lighting design was by Adam Honore, and I feel like he did such a fantastic job with making you feel like you were in the theater watching these performers. Um, So you had everything, they sung everything from finishing the hat to merrily we roll along. And then what you want to do with this show, it, it, it runs until March 26th. So you have a week to see it. What you want to do with this show is stick with it because the first half I want to say are the B-sides, like sometimes B-sides, the songs that you don't often hear, but the end are the songs that you're really going to um, relate to and remember if you're a musical theater fan. Norm Lewis sung Being Alive, and I've never heard um, him sing this song. I know that he's performed it before, but this was my first time hearing him sing it, and I've never heard a person, a black man sing this song. So it took on a whole new um, meaning for me, especially in this time. Being Alive um, was first performed in the 1970s when company first made its way to Broadway. But it was just now in 2021, the song Being Alive takes on a whole new meaning for people of color, for black men, for black women who are being Um, unjustly murdered by the cops for living through this pandemic. It's just a song that it's now like, it's so emotional for me. Before it wasn't, it was just part of company, but now I feel like this is the standout song that people, when company does return to um, Broadway, that this is going to be the song that really does it in for people because You've had so many deaths. You had, um, you know, you had the killing of George Floyd. We're speaking on the anniversary of Breonna Taylor's death. Like this is a song that just being able to be here and breathe and see other people and connect, it just takes on a whole new life. And Norm Lewis had so much passion singing that song that I will just... It's just an emotional experience. And I feel like if for nothing else you see this show, you want to see it for Norm Lewis singing Being Alive. What were your thoughts on it? Absolutely. I mean, I think 
that's important that, I mean, that's kind of like, I guess, what makes Sondheim's work uh, so timeless is that it takes on new meanings um, as more people and more communities get access to this type of work. For me, I think that I uh, watched it. I really enjoyed it. Um, and I think it brought me back to the beginning of the pandemic with Sondheim's birthday, um, kind of like fundraiser when there was a live performance of his, uh, his uh, body of work as well. Um, and the performances mm. were by other Broadway artists. And so when I listened to all those songs, I just remembered kind of, it was March, I was quarantined in an apartment. I was unsure of what was going on, whether this would be ended by the summer or not. Um, and it just brought like a moment of temporary respite and just kind of like a break mm. from like the chaos. Um, and it just like, so like it just kept reminding me of that Sondheim birthday fundraiser because that was also one of the first times that wow. there was like live theater being attempted virtually. So there were like technical issues. There was like, I think a 10 minute lag at the very beginning. I think like the link might have been broken for a hot minute. Um, but it was also everybody literally trying to be like, this is what theater is now. And we're going to love it because we have to, because this is what is like, like what we're capable of in the moment. Um, and I thought that was kind of great for me. So my opinions on it are less to do with like the technical aspects of it and more just like the memories they evoke mm. but um I think for me yeah that's why I would suggest people go watch it um but I agree like that was a very beautiful kind of like description of what that song me could mean now mm. and I guess it makes me think a lot of um the work that's going to come after um COVID and I mm. think there's just going to be a lot of musical work that tries to memorialize the time we went through and do you think, like, when is too soon? Do you think we need to have these, like, plays that, like, either kind of try to encapsulate what quarantine was or tries to encapsulate the liberation we feel right after? Do you think we need any of that if we're living through it or just lived through it? Or do you think we just need something, like, so unrelated that like it makes us even forget COVID happened. So the former, <laughs> um, I want, personally, I want theater to be um, an ex like a learned experience. So bringing more diversity and um, BIPOC people and people who are disabled, the LGBTQ community, like I want them to be more involved with theater, but I also don't want I don't want to live through the pandemic again. I want to go back to theater, go back to that feeling of escapism in a way. And I don't, I mean, I don't want to see a musical about <laughs> a couple <laughs> who like fell out of love or something during quarantine or whatever. Um, I just feel like that's not, I actually was sent an invite to um, a performance in New York called Quarantine Theater, where it was actually depicting, <laughs> no. it, it's a pop-up event. And I'm just like, no, this is not what I want. I'm not going to come and I'm not going to embrace this. I, I want a learned experience, a new experience. That's why I'm so excited for um, Thoughts of a Colored Man, 
being mm-hmm. announced coming back from Broadway. I'm excited about, I am, I'm going to say I'm excited about company. I just want shows that are going to make me feel um, just happy and back that theater is back. Um, I want shows to close that shouldn't be on Broadway anymore. Um, I won't mention them, but I, I just feel like we... <laughs> throw, them, <laughs> throw them out here. <laughs> Uh, Book of Mormon one, um, but just like I, I just feel like I, I feel like we're such an, a time where like this should be a hit when Broadway theater reopens. Like do don't make this a miss. Everything should be a hit. So you had all this time to curate some of the best work to put on broadway the west end um regional theater you had all this time so like let's make this all a hit there should be no misses um i don't know what you think but i definitely do not want (laughs) to relive this year no i do not want a one-man show about like a single guy living in in an apartment in a pandemic (laughs) and like having a mental health crisis i think i think we all have (laughs) And we have all experienced our ups and downs and we're still going through them. So I just like, mm-hmm. for me, I just think that like the aftermath of the pandemic on our mental health, on our emotions, on our lives, financially, jobs, otherwise, relationship wise, will not be over once we all get vaccinated. It's going to be like a process we go through for years. So like, I don't want to go into a room and not escape and just see like, um, a very intense kind of uh, dramatization of my lived experiences. Um, I think Michael Bay is like making a movie already on like COVID, which I think is too soon <laughs> It's and too useless. soon for that. Too soon and useless. Like it's just too much. And I think like they're wearing like, they're just like, some of them aren't even wearing masks like in the movie, like the characters, which I think is also ridiculous. Um, but I do agree with you that if, Broadway has had this much time to figure out how they're making their big return. And I want to see diversity. I want to see so much more. Um, mm-hmm. And I also want the Tonys to get their act together and bring, like, just get those awards out already. Tony votes should be in by now. So we'll see. They said that the Tony Awards will um, be aired. Uh, in conjunction with Broadway's return. So we don't know when both, any of them are coming back. So we could be having the 2020 Tonys in 2022. So, but we'll see. This is, uh, you've heard it here first on Token Theater Friends, Broadway, get your act together and get the show that (laughs) we deserve. And Tonys, please do not make us wait till 2022. <laughs> for Especially for Adrian Warren to get her her award. Like And just give Jeremy O'Harris his Tony. <laughs> like just just hand it to them at this point. We don't need a whole celebration. Just mail it to them at this point. Thank you, Ayana and Alexi, for that incredible conversation and this great episode. If you're new around here, welcome. We are a community of BIPOC critics, journalists, and friends who love the performing arts so much that we do this podcast. We also have a web series, and we have a full-on website with three years' worth of episodes for you to catch up on. 
I want to remind you that everything we do, we do it because of you and also thanks to your support. So if you're able, we would really appreciate it if you could become a contributor on Patreon. You can join several tiers starting with $1 and you get a weekly newsletter. There's bonus content on Patreon and more goodies to come. So if you can contribute at the moment, thank you. We really appreciate it. And if you can't, please rate us and review us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks again for listening, and we will see you next time. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E.org because only together we rise. It is Ryan here and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.